Now the last four commandments, if we consider these things, it's murder, stealing, lying, and self-centeredness. Not only are these more towards the self, but you can even consider it something even deeper as the traits of Satan, of Lucifer. He is a murderer. He is a thief. He is a liar, the father of all lies. And he is self-centered. Amen? It was all this self-centered and pride that he had in his heart what kicked him out of heaven there. Now, to recap the first commandment, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? That means nothing else can take his place. There is nothing else on earth that we should place in the position of God. Number two commandment. You guys recall? It is you shall not make yourself any graven images or any idols. You shall not worship or give devotion to anything else other than God. Number three. You recall what that is? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that is more than using God's name in a curse or a swear word. It also goes deeper than that. How we say we are Christians. Do we represent Christ? Do we take the name of the Lord in vain when we say, well, when you do something and someone, wit- and someone sees you do and they say, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian. Whoops. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do we set a time apart? God says, remember. We're so busy and caught up in our tasks and, our, and, and everything that we have going on in our lives. God says, oh, hold on there. You need to remember. You need to take some time out. It's good for you physically as well as spiritually. Otherwise, you will fall apart. You need to give yourself some break, a bit of rest, as well as fellowship. You are blessed with whatever job situation you may have. God has given unto you. You do have your material possessions to go along with these things. Now is the time to rest. Don't work so much for these things. You need to take a break. And it's not necessarily has to be the seventh day, which would be the, uh, what we consider Saturday. It could be any time. Take a break. Take a break from the day. Take a Sabbath minute, if you will. Take a break. And I know there's been times to where I've been caught up at work and it's like, you know what, I need to stop. I'll go off to my own little side and I just pray, lift things up to the Lord. And then I come back and things are so much more clearer. And it's so, isn't that awesome? If you ever had the chance to do that, and I just praise God, when I come upon a situation, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm not smart enough for this, I need your help. Sure enough, within however amount of God's time, there it is. And then my coworkers, my associates say, wow, how'd you do that? Well, it's the Lord. It wasn't me. <laughs> Not that smart. <laughs> Number five, you shall honor your father and mother. They are the representatives of God here on earth. There is a hierarchy. There is the family unit. It's safe to say that we all have a parent. How else will we were conceived unless we were born or conceived in a test tube? Even still, we came from human genes. It does not say, it does not ask your opinion. God says honor in all things. Honor your parents. Especially in the adolescent years or up until our early 20s. We, oh, no, no, I, I, know, I know enough. I can get by this world. Right. We always call upon our parents. And like I said, I'm 44 and I still call upon my parents. I ask my dad's opinion, my mom's opinion. Number six. You shall not murder. 
and it goes beyond do, doing the actual physical act. It's the inward aspect. Have you ever hated anybody enough to wish them or desire them harm? Or have you ever treated somebody a certain way? you ever felt biased or prejudiced against someone to murder and to carry out the physical act it would have to be a special kind of hate and I recalled this uh, and uh, these two examples here of Jeffrey Dahmer he could say however he grew up and was abused but it still doesn't account for the horrific things that he pulled off Yet when he was in jail and he was incarcerated, the news came out that he was a born-again born Christian. We don't know his heart, but praise God if, it, if that is true. Yet the world does not accept that. They say, well, how can a loving God accept a sinner such as that? Look in the mirror, buddy. Look at me. God accepts us as we are. We still have to pay for our retributions. We still have to pay restitution. We still have to pay. But the matter of the heart is where he's going to spend his eternity. And people thought it was justice of the world and how he was murdered in prison himself. It's not for man to decide that. And the, other, and the second um, example I came up with, I don't know if you recall, a couple of years ago there was a girl attending Corona High School. She was a junior, I believe. And her and her boyfriend and his friend, they murdered her mother because she did not want the girl to date this young man. How can anybody sit idly by and know what's going to happen? Even though she did not physically contribute, she is still an accessory. So it goes on also that we will see with these commandments, if we bear witness to somebody breaking one, we are all accountable and, ex and accessories to these things also which would lead also to now the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And that is a, an attack, if you will, from Satan upon the family unit. Adultery destructs and destroys the household. What does it do? The trust that was built up between two individuals throughout the years or throughout time could never be reestablished again, especially in the intimate moments then the person would be wondering, well, how am I measuring up to the person they cheated with? Especially if someone could carelessly and um, maliciously say, well, it was no big thing. Wait a minute, what, was our, what is our relationship? No big thing that you had no problem going outside of our marriage searching. Now, we get to uh, number eight. Lord willing, we will try to accomplish the last three tonight. But as I said, the last four commandments, numbers six, seven, I'm sorry, seven, eight, nine, and ten, there is murder, stealing, lying, and self-centeredness. These are all traits of the devil, and the Bible tells us, do not be of the world. You are from it, but don't be part of it. Anyone else, you know, in First John, it tells us there are two types of people. There are you know, the sons of the children of God and there are children of the devil. If we break any of these one commandments here and really have no problem breaking them, well, there is a major internal issue here. These are all traits of what Satan would desire us to try to emulate here. 
Now, the thing forbidden in thou shall not steal or you shall not steal, you can even say that God says, steal not. That means anything and everything that you would take that is not of yours. And Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23 is concerning Jesus and says, And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. This was the situation to where the Pharisees and the scribes, they were following Jesus and they were looking at his followers and they were saying, Lord, how come your, why do your disciples not uh, follow this, the, the, clean, the cleanliness rules? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? And this is where Jesus talks, tells them about uh, where it says that what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. That is quite a laundry list. And to equate all these things that are evil, I know I've had evil thoughts. I know I've probably had murder in the, in the respect that I've hated or had some bad thoughts towards someone. I know I've stolen something before. I know I've coveted stuff. And so on. But Jesus says, from the inner man, these are the things that start off from there. And what we do with these things to express them in the physical manner. Now what causes theft? Unbelief. The Lord has blessed us. I know I would love to win the lottery and not work again. However, God knows what I can handle and what I can't. He blesses me with some things and withholds other things from me. So what causes theft is the unbelief that man cannot trust God, that he is providing for him especially if this person is a believer or a Christian, the unbelieving world doesn't care. It's all about me, me, mine, mine. You guys ever see that movie Finding Nemo? You got these seagulls at the end, mine, mine, mine. And these guys are all, it's about me. Uh, how about a two-year-old? Mine, mine. And you know, no, no, you need to share. No, mine. <laughs> And number two, it also causes theft, is covetousness. The desire to want what is someone else's that you don't have and you just can't stop thinking about it. You can't think of anything else other than obtaining that for yourself. It's about pleasing the self, but we'll get to that. Now, the external cause of theft is also Satan's solicitation. Go to John chapter 12 in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel. John chapter 12. And we'll read from verse 1. John 12. It says, Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, verse 6, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box 
and he used to take that what was put in it. He had this huge influence. He was a thief. And later on we see how he desires money, how money was his God. He traded in the life of his Lord and Savior for how many pieces of silver? Thirty. Thirty pieces of silver. He was satanically influenced because we see there at the Lord's Last Supper that Satan entered into him. He possessed him. He took him over. Thou shalt not steal. There are two kinds of theft. Can we steal from God? Can we steal from God? Yes, we can in tithes and offerings. Right? Go over to Malachi. That is the last book of the Old Testament. Or as our pastor likes to say with the Italian twist, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. How can we steal from God? We can steal again in tithes and offerings. We'll go there at verse 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 8. <laughs> I know how to read. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will, be not, there will not be room enough to receive it. The Lord challenges us in tithes and offerings, but yet how we in our, in, in, in our carnal ways, no, no, mine, mine. Well, what does tithes mean? It's basically a tenth of what you have. All that we have, not just a little bit, all that we have belongs to God. Ooh, that's kind of scary. You mean everything that I have at home, everything that's in my computer, everything that's in my movie collection, everything that's in my record collection, everything that I have? Yes. All that. So what are you bringing home? That's number one. Number two, God says, trust me. And it's not so much as these televangelists have perverted the tithes and offering that they like, you know, give me money, send me money. It's more what we tithe and we give our offerings that we trust in God. The blessings that he has given us, Lord, I give back to you. Now, say for instance in this church, we are fortunate and blessed to have uh, on, on staff a full-time pastor. There are many churches that have a pastor that works has his own business or works for someone else but then comes here we are blessed to support a pastor we are blessed to have a building to pay off for the utilities to have slides so we can see the lyrics a sound system a recording system classrooms uh, utensils along for these things a lot of the blessed hearts that give and trust God it's not so much to make the church rich it's to trust in God and then the money goes to, um, I'm sure it's separated, but it's prayed for by our elders. And how do we dis the distribute these things? There were ministries there for a while that we had to drop because not, people were not tithing. But what a blessing it is that the tithing is up again. It's up again. We also have a full-time staff in the office here assisting our pastor. He was at one point... Uh, not only counselor, teacher, pastor, but also church secretary, and however else, you know, he was doing things in there. And of course, we have the blessed souls also that volunteer their time. 
In tithes and offering, do we trust God? Do we give Him a tenth? Uh, there was a time to where I had lost many jobs throughout the 90s. I hated the 90s, with the exception of, of the blessing of my son being born. I lost many jobs, and we lost a house. But even though I was still collecting unemployment, we were challenged by some other saints. You still need to tithe. And it took a huge step of faith. We tithed even on those unemployment checks. We didn't have enough to buy a Happy Meal. And if we did, it was for our son. But what awesomeness is that how God says, there you are. I challenge It's the only place that he challenges you. I challenge you. No, you know what? Challenge me. Test me if I don't see, you know, if I don't say what is true. And not one of our cupboards ever were bare. Yes, amen indeed. How else can we steal from God? We steal with the talents that we have. In 1 Corinthians, in chapters uh, 10, 12, 11 through 14, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul basically says, if you have a talent, God has given you a gift. What are you doing for it? Do you withhold it? No, it's not for you to withhold. God has blessed you. What are you doing with this gift? Are you edifying others? Are you serving in the church? Are you lifting others up? We have many ministries that are started you know, with prayer. And we have people who share their property so that we can't have these things. We have artistic talent. We have musicians here. We have people who just love the, you know, to serving God. We have home studies. But yet there are people who do not want to or take the time or perhaps don't trust God or even afraid in using their talents. That's how we can rob God. But you know what's even worse? When we rob God, we rob ourselves also. We rob ourselves of the blessings that God has ready for us. Go to Matthew chapter 21. It's the next book over. Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> Concerning stealing from God. Matthew 21, verse 10. I'm a lot quicker to change nowadays because I have my old Bible with the tabs. <laughs> Matthew 21, verse 10. It says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 12, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What, they, what was originally built for fellowship with God these men came along throughout the years and they changed the courtyards into swap meets. And what made it even worse, it was allowed by the religious hierarchy there, as long as I'm sure they got their cut. They were ripping off God. They were being bad representatives of God. They were also taking God's name in vain, going to the temple there and being ripped off. Isn't that sad how people who say that they are a Christian or, or, or Jew, who's someone who loves God, yet they have no problems you know, off on the side ripping people off. 
We can steal from others. There was the bandits that Jesus talked about, uh, for about the parable of the Good Samaritan, how a man was on his way, and these thieves came upon him, beat him up, and took everything that he had, and left him for dead. They stole from this man. They had stole his dignity also. Yet the Good Samaritan, through various people who... Uh, uh, decided to divert themselves uh, from contact from this man, the Good Samaritan, the people whom the Jews despised, was the one who ministered to this man. A house thief, someone who breaks into the house and takes whatever belongs to someone else. Have you ever? Has anybody here ever been stolen from? It's a violation. Don't you feel violated? I know our house bro was broken into one time when I was a kid. Uh, even as I guess as soon as maybe 10, 12 years ago for us too. It's a, it's a violated feeling. A thief who shrouds himself under the law, you know, such as, you know, these bribed judges, even these corrupt attorneys, even these attorneys who do not uh, truly represent their clients that are too lazy or don't know exactly what they're doing. How about taking government assistance when you don't need it? I know there are a lot of people who claim welfare or claim disability and it robs those of us who do need to partake of those benefits. How about not working when you're able, how about stealing when you're, not, when you're able to work? There are those who do that. We unfortunately here in Corona have a, an abundance of a lot of homeless folk and yes, we are supposed to biblically take care of the destitute the orphans and the widows. However, God says you shall work six days. If you're able-bodied, you're supposed to work for these things. And the majority of the people, not to say all of them, but there are majority of the people who, who decide that they rather take the free ride, take the free money, and not work necessarily. Uh, there's always articles on these things. <coughs> Proverbs chapter twenty, verse ten, uh, verse seventeen. It says, "Bread gained by deceit." is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. The church thief, if you, you know, go, let's go to 1 Samuel. That's way to the left, going towards, going towards the beginning. It's right after Ruth, 1 Samuel. And if you recall what 1 Samuel is about, it's basically about the first king of, of, Jerusalem, of Israel. You recall who that was? King Saul. We'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and later on it talks about another king, King David. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll be at verse 12. Now, how did these guys not only ripped off other people, but they ripped off God at the same time here? It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Here we have a high priest and his sons, the, they were in the family business, if you will. They were supposed to become priests also, but they did not know the Lord. Even though they went through the motions, they, they enjoyed the benefits of living there, they did not know the Lord. Verse 13 says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Verse 14. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So, that, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat... The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, 
Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Verse 17, Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Okay, what was that? What all was that? What had happened was that you would come with some meat as an offering into the temple of God. And I don't know about you all, I love a good barbecue, especially the smell. And what was supposed to happen was that they were supposed to sacrifice the animal, the, the, the sacrifice until the fat. They were supposed to sacrifice it, barbecue it until a certain time. Then the priests can take their portion. What these guys were doing is said, no, you know what, rather than having you do all that, I'm going to take this now. I'm in, good, I'm in the mood for a good steak or broiled steak or whatever the case may be. They were taking the offering from those who would bring their offerings to the temple and they were ripping God off too. Throughout the Old Testament, there were um, uh, the laws, if you will, to bring offerings to the temple for whatever sin, whatever um, level of restitution you needed to file or, or, or give to. They were ripping the people off of giving their sacrifices to God. How about a shop thief? Those who receive too much change at the store and keeping it or selling an inferior item to someone at a higher price. Um, you can also count that as counterfeit. Counterfeit items. You can go to swap meet. Everything there is counterfeit. Even though the labels have been scanned, it makes it look like it's the actual product. Extortion. Um, how about extortion? When we have a crisis you see the prices rise up because these people say, well, you know, it's a high in demand, we've got low supply. No, you're just really milking the people for, for their money. The borrower, the, someone who borrows money who, and doesn't intend to pay it back. A receiver of stolen goods. You have a thief going to a store, ripping the store off. They come around, they try to fence it to you. There was a situation to where I was going to a store and these guys in a van pulled up. Hey, dude, you want to buy some speakers? We got an overabundance. Yeah, right. No, I'm not interested. Oh, come on, they're cheap. Dude, what's wrong with you? Say, look, I'm a Christian. I don't need it. Christian, what's that got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. Maybe you should con you know, consider yourself first, where you're at, what you're doing. Ripping off our employers people not doing their job correctly, uh, not taking up, uh, extending their breaks, extending their lunches, going out and uh, chatting with other employees, preventing them from doing their job. It's more than just taking a couple pencils and you know, a couple utensils from the office. It's a lot of other things. Now, on the other end, what about employers ripping their employees off, not paying them what they're worth, not paying them on time, not giving them their full benefits, not even paying them because they have other interests at heart. Children who steal from their parents also. Swindling, unjust judgment, bribery and corruption. We already talked about that. And here's a good one. Plagiarism is also a violation. You're stealing someone else's ideas and thoughts or inventions and keeping it for yourself to make yourself look good. The consequences for stealing, there's restitution that needs to be made, including serving a, sale, a jail sentence. Go to Luke chapter 19, back in the New Testament. Right, Barrett? New? <laughs> Thanks, brother. 
<laughs> Luke chapter 19. We have a person here of short of stature, or how do they call him now? Vertically challenged? Someone who's vertically challenged, and you could picture the role of a person such as Danny DeVito fulfilling this role here. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Verse 3 says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and he saw and said to him, Can you imagine? He's probably laughing. A little guy, you know, up in the tree. Whoa, check this guy out. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Either this man must have had a reputation, or Jesus, knowing all men, called him out by name and invited himself to his house. Verse 6 says, So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And you could say that these are the religious people you know, following Jesus, and they see who he's, whose house he's going to. Verse 8 says, And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What had happened there was that the tax collectors had a really bad reputation because they were working for Rome. Not only were they extracting from the people what was due to Rome, but they were taking off some for themselves too. They were deliberately and openly ripping people off. And there was nothing that the people could do because all this person could say, the tax collectors say, look, this person refuses to pay their taxes, throw them in jail. And so he, they, that's how these tax collectors would become rich. They were skimming off the top or the bottom, however you put it. They were still ripping the people off. And that's how he, he said he's gonna, he wants to give restitution. And verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He had so much stuff there that he was going to give back to the people fourfold. And to whoever he, was gonna, he had false accusations, we'll get to the next uh, commandment about that, about bearing false witness, is that I want to pay restitution. Lord, I repent. As a matter of fact, I want to give back to those whom I have injured. Now go to 1 Corinthians. There's a couple books over, right after Romans. It's John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What else is the consequence for stealing? And here we, we will see that there is a separation from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll go to verse 9. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, and he gives a list here, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit 
the kingdom of God. And this is repeated again in Revelation chapter 22. All these people who practice these evil things that do not repent, do not be deceived, the wicked will have their day. They, the wicked have their spot reserved for them. And this is the place that they will not be. They will not be with God, but they will be in outer darkness. Now the cure for stealing that we have is the conversion to Christ. Repent. Stay away from these things and be content with what God has given us. Be content. I was, uh, we were having discussion here um, Monday night during worship rehearsal, actually afterwards, and how some of us, we are so caught up in, in our chores, if you will, in our daily lives, that we feel guilty of not spending enough time with God. I, the only time I open my Bible is here at church or at home when I'm studying to present you the word. But I don't take the time. I don't, I don't have a devotional life because my excuse is I have other things to do. However, I need to make the time, right? But then we have our, our other um, siblings who say, well, I'm so caught up doing this. I got family, I got school, I got work, and so on and so on. I got other ministries, but they're not taking the personal time. We have our distractions. We have our material possessions that get in the way. And what I shared was in 1998, I went to Romania with the intent of, of, of um, not so much lifting up, but encouraging our brethren out in Romania. We had money to take, and I had a money purse on me, a money belt. I was carrying $13,000 in cash. I was so nervous until we finally got to Romania. Okay, here you go. Get it off me. <laughs> you know, one of the ministries that we were um, uh, supporting out there. And all the people that were there, they, you got to remember, they were just coming out of the communistic realm. So a lot of their houses looked like projects, except incomplete. And in some of the houses that were there, even though they were within 10 years, they looked like they were 50 years because of the coals, the cold stoves that were there. And when we gathered for church, for fellowship, they rented the civic auditorium there once a week, if I, if I remember right. The little amount that they had in possession-wise, because they thought, oh, rich American, yeah, you know, we have our classes here. We're separated by classes also. They thought, oh, rich American. Said, no, not really. But what little they have, they didn't have the distractions that we have. And they were living more for the Lord. They weren't concerned about their possessions. They were happy with what they had. Yet they would desire to be in our positions too. Do not steal from yourself also. Steal, you know, do not steal from God. Give yourself that time. We work for our own personal belongings. Now, the ninth commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. False witness. There's a twofold uh, uh, part here of bearing false witness. There is bearing false witness for another, or there's also bearing false witness against another. You could be paid under someone, be bribed and bearing false witness, lying about somebody in order to get them in deeper trouble or make them look bad. Or of your own works, you're bearing false witness against somebody there. A false witness speaks with partiality and without mercy, reaching a conclusion without facts. 
If we, you know, here we're, suppo- we're told, remember, uh, the, the young ruler came up to Jesus and he says, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Even the scribes had asked him that. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, the first one is love God with everything that you are, with all your being. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we love our neighbors, we will take care of them as we would our own family. And the question is, well, who is our neighbor? Right now it's the person sitting next to you. But also when we leave through these doors, it's everyone and anyone around you. Do not bear false witness. What does false witness do to to a person? You can't trust them. Ruins their own reputation, even though they desire to ruin someone else's. Now what's the difference between slander and false witness? One ruins name, character, reputation, and the other one ruins their life. If you slander someone, said it goes back to ruining their character. However, if you bear false witness, you can ruin someone else's life. And unfortunately, it does not, it's not restricted outside of the church. There are cliques. There are people who say, oh, by the way, brother, I'm telling you about so-and-so so you can pray for them. So here are the juicy details. Oh, boy, here we go. It's a shame. Bearing false witness, gossiping, has no borders, nowhere near. What is a lie? You know, bearing false witness is also a lie. I, I appreciate what John, Pastor John Corson says. He says, a lie is the right information with the wrong implication, twisting the facts, stemming from corrupt motivation due to satanic inspiration, which leads to hellish devastation. I was like, you can put that in the rap tune, right? Let me tell it one more time. The right information with the wrong implication, stemming from corrupt motivation due to satanic inspiration, which leads to hellish devastation. A lie is a distortion or concealment of the truth. A lie is contrary to the truth. Truth proceeds from God. A lie proceeds from the devil. And we see that in John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus says, You are your father, the devil, who is the father of all lies. Lies, are sla- lies and slander are tantamount to murder, for it is possible to kill not only the physical body, but also the spiritual. You can attack somebody without touching them. You can just slander and shoot your mouth off. It's amazing how people can do that. And I know how when I've gotten to the various departments where I work at now, that people will say, you know, my trainers will say, well, you need to stay away from that guy because he's like this and this and this. And no, 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 I'll I'll form my own opinion. Well, it turns out, well, I think the problem is with you. (laughs) You know, there's nothing wrong with that other person there. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, that is going towards the back, right after Hebrews, way before Revelation. James chapter 3. And we will go to verse 3. The tongue, which was first made to be an organ for praising God, is used as an instrument of unrighteousness here when we bear false witness. James chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. We steer with the bit there in the horse. Verse 4 says, Look also at ships. 
Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, verse 5, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have, made, who have been made in the similitude or in the image of God. Guys, I'm guilty of this. Every time I drive the 91 freeway and I see some knucklehead driving along the emergency lane or cutting me off and not using his blankers or for whatever reason, there I am worshiping and praising God or I'm just lifting up in prayers. All of a sudden some, ah, oh, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Whoop, sorry, Lord. But he is, I'm just reminding him. <laughs> the tongue, it's an, it's, it's a beast unleashed and we cannot tame it. I know I've heard myself pour out some wicked poison stuff to people who really pushed it with me. And it's been times I wish, I go, oh, wait, 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 I need to eat that back. But you cannot take it back. You know, it's unfortunate. It's almost like we're spewing and vomiting this stuff out. And it's unfortunate. These all stem from the heart. Not, I know that's not necessarily bearing false witness, but the tongue is still a wick, can be a wicked tool. This commandment forbids anything which may tend to degrade or damage our neighbor. Now, let's go back to Proverbs. All the way back. No, you know what? Stay there. Stay at James. Actually, go to Acts. Go to Acts, chapter 5. That <laughs> ah, fooled you, huh? Curveball. <laughs> As you're going there, I'm going to read to you Proverbs, chapter 6. In Proverbs, chapter 6, Verse 16, God hates lying. How much does he hate lying? It says, these, thing, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, it says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Amen. Amen is right. Acts chapter 5. And we're there at verse 1, as soon as I get there myself. <laughs> there, was a, there was a part here to where people started convert, uh, converting over and accepting Jesus. A lot of people were becoming believers at that time. And a lot of people were supporting the, the beginnings of the church there. They were supporting the apostles and selling their goods, selling whatever they had and giving the money over to the apostles here. But we have a couple here named Ananias and Sapphira. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife, Sapphira, Oh, I never heard that. I never heard that before. Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part 
of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Apparently what was going on, a lot of people were saying, you know, uh, apostles, here we go. We're giving you everything. We're giving you 100% of the proceeds that we raised. And in the, this couple here, Ananias and Sapphira, might have said, oh yeah, us too. No, no, not necessarily. They sold a parcel of their land. They kept a portion of it. It says, oh yeah, here, we're giving you everything. But the word of knowledge here came upon Peter. He says, why are you trying to lie? Why are you trying to lie here? Verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I would hope so. <laughs> what about those who were standing there too? Like, whoa, what happened to him? Verse 6 says, And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Can you imagine her, you know, just throwing on it? Hey guys, what's happening? Not knowing, not having a clue. Verse 8 says, and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she says, yeah. So she stayed to the lie there. Verse 9 says, then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who had heard these things. Not only not supposed to lie to each other, but don't even try to lie to God. Psalm 139, remember what David says, Lord, you know me. I can't hide from you. You know my inner thoughts. You know you made me. You designed me. There is nothing I can do that is outside of your knowledge. It's amazing how people not only try to lie to God, but we see in the end times how they try to fight against him. There are other also forms of, of lying too. Flattery, right? Exaggeration, and silence by keeping silent. Unfortunately, ladies, please do not put your husbands in this position by asking them, how do I look? <laughs> Does this look good on me? <laughs> Guys, what do we do? Mm, I like that commercial with a guy. I'm sorry? Tell the truth. Tell the truth, right. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> but I want to be gentle. How about that one commercial? I think it's a Snickers commercial. This girl comes up to him. Was it Twix? Yeah, this girl comes out. His, his wife. How, 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 how do I look in this? He goes, oh, he unwraps this thing and just shoves it in his mouth. He's talking while this thing's in his mouth. <laughs> there was also an incident in 1 Kings chapter 21. There was a woman named Jezebel. And she lied. She had a lie told about her neighbor Naboth. Let's go to First Kings. Break open those pages. I know it's been a while since we've been there. First Kings chapter 21. That's way in the Old Testament again. First Kings. And this is after First and Second Samuel. First Kings chapter 21. 
And it's about Naboth, a man named Naboth, and how he is murdered for the property next door to where the king wants to buy his, this land at. Chapter 21, 1 Kings, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, that Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegeta- veg- vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. And for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth its money. Nothing wrong there. Verse 3 says, But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give, give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Verse 4 says, So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased. He basically was pouting here because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down in his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Aww. You ever encounter a little kid who tries to hold their breath? Okay, then hold it. (laughs) Verse 5 says, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels or false witnesses, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So she contrives this evil thing about bearing a false witness in front of everybody, and she's sending out invitations. Guys, we're not only going to have a party for this guy in his honor, but this is what I want you all to do too. Find somebody who's going to... So she's bringing more accessories here that they're all going to take a play in. Verse 11 says, So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Now you need to know, in order for people to believe a, a, a testimony, there had to be two witnesses here. We had two false witnesses here. Then this man was murdered for a parcel of land. Verse 14 says, Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was, verse 16, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. What actions for a king and queen to to partake of here, right? 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said of, old, of those days of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Recall also that there were these false witnesses trying to testify against Jesus. Remember, he said in John chapter 2, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. And later on, how these false witnesses, they had a series of false witnesses bearing lies against Jesus. And they finally found two of them. They said, well, yeah, you know what? He said, uh, destroy this temple and he'll rebuild it. They were twisting the truth here. And through that, they got him according to blasphemy. The false witnesses here and partaking of the fate of an innocent man. Lying is destructive, as we've, we've already seen. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 18, it says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. When we lie, we are being more like the children of the devil rather than the children of God. There are reasons why we should not bear false witness. Well, number one, because it's an abomination unto God. God hates it. Swearing falsely means that you can't keep your word. You ever heard, you ever had a conversation with somebody say, oh, I swore in a stack of Bibles, or I swear to God. That means that whatever they say can't be trusted unless they put these things, these implications in there. That's really something. I mean, how can you work with somebody who cannot, you cannot trust, or let alone be around somebody like that? It's pretty tough, isn't it? For our last one, what, let's go over Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15. Psalm 15, it says, The character of those who may dwell with the Lord is a, is a psalm of David. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So the question is, Lord, who can stand before you? Who can dwell in your house? Who is favored in your eyes? And he's basically saying, not the liar, not the deceiver, not the false witness, but those who uphold righteousness and truth. And God help us that we should be that way. Amen? Well, unfortunately... We didn't get to the Tenth Commandments, which we will get to next week. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time and partaking of your word, Lord. Help us, Lord, to bring to recollection all these things of what they mean to us, Lord, especially what they meant to you, because we must have a human problem with these things. That is why you 
brought them, Lord, to our attention. And Father, they were not just laws or commandments. These are things that we cannot fulfill, Lord, but we thank you so much for our Lord and Savior who fulfilled all righteousness and and your laws, Lord. And it is upon his works that we rely and rest upon. For, Lord, on our own accord, we will fall even from the very moment we get up out of bed. Lord, help us to see Jesus in these commandments. For you did say, Lord, that that all the book is written about you and how you fulfill these things, Lord. May we rely upon your grace and your mercy, Lord, even though we fail every day. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your immense love and for drawing us out again. You can never say thank you enough, Lord. So help us, Father, to live accordingly that we may be not only a sweet sight unto you, Lord, but that our words would be a sweet sound unto you also, Father. Father, we ask, Lord, for your strength continually as we face the world. And we just want to thank you, Lord, again, in Jesus' name. Amen.